Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Gabe Malika, a comedian, storyteller, and writer in Astoria, Queens. His off-Broadway show, Solo, is a show about friendship and has been granted an extension at the Soho Playhouse in Manhattan. Gabe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm so pleased that you were able to make some time, and I think I, I have a, a fairly friendship-heavy deck today. Um, which, you know, I'm proud of because I'm just considering you today an expert in friendship. That's your area of expertise. That's what we're gunning for. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I've read a couple I read a couple textbooks in preparation to do my show. And just uh, it's funny, I, I, I don't consider myself like a friendship influencer. I'm just like a comic who decided to talk about it a lot. <laughs> but I'm happy to I, I do have a lot of thoughts about it, if not um, expert PhD level friendship guy. <laughs> Frankly, you know, if you did start calling yourself a friendship influencer, I think a lot of people would probably uh, be a little bit put off. So it is probably to your advantage that you don't say, I'm I'm Gabe, I'm a friendship influencer. <laughs> yeah, because like people are like, what do you, what's the takeaway? Like, you, you know, and I'm just like, uh, I don't like people want me to be like, join a bowling league. And I'm like, I'm not really that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like really. the idea of just like, I've got my fingers on the pulse of the latest <laughs> trends in friendship. And here's what I can tell you is in and out for next year. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm like I have like broad thoughts in general, but nothing, uh, nothing too concrete. I'm not going to write a book about it. I don't think. Great. All right. Well, yeah. Just, just a, just a one man show. Just a one man um, show. Yes, just a solo show. Got to draw the line somewhere. All right. Well, I will read our first letter, uh, and we can start to think about how we might be most useful to someone who is thinking about a friendship of theirs. Beautiful. The subject is quite contrary. I, she, her, have been best friends with Mary for almost a decade. We met in college, where initially I thought she didn't like me. This was probably because she has a contrarian personality and is often very critical of things other people love and won't mince words when expressing her dislike. She's had highly discriminating tastes since she was, like, 12. Some of our other friends have mentioned they found her standoffish or too cool. Mary is cool, I think, and also generous, very kind, and the best listener I've ever met once you get to know her. She's taught me a lot about friendship, and has always shown up in times of crisis. She genuinely likes my art, her tastes have really influenced mine, and I've grown to appreciate her sharpness. It's even inspired me to be less of a people pleaser in some ways. But I also know some of her best qualities can shade into her worst. Lately, I've felt a little tired of Mary undermining things I like, whether that's a pair of funky shoes, a new indie film, or an opinion about implementing our shared politics. Sometimes she'll contradict me about something mundane in a group setting, and I'll recoil into myself. I wonder if I'm taking myself too seriously or if she's being ungracious. 
Sometimes she'll do this in private, and I wonder why she can't affirm me more often in conversation. Is that too much to expect? I'm not sure if she does this equally to everyone or not. It comes off as stubborn, unwilling to consider that I might have a point. It creates an unhospitable environment for any type of conversation besides a debate, which I rarely want, or a, well, agree to disagree, which sounds a little passive-aggressive. I worry that if I do suddenly begin to go to bat for my opinions and tastes without explaining my new assertiveness, it'll throw her and others off. Do you have any advice for whether and how to approach her about this, in the moment or separately? I'm struggling because I don't think her outspokenness and well-developed critique are always a bad thing. I really appreciated this letter. Uh, I feel like I got a really loving portrait of Mary that was, Mm. uh, you know, really looking for honesty and balance in every direction and is trying as best as anybody can to to be relatively clear-eyed about uh, things that she does that the letter writer likes and things that she doesn't like. Did you get a sense reading this letter like, yeah, I think the letter writer has a pretty good pin on Mary here. Did you feel like maybe there was something they were missing, something that you would want to encourage them to consider? I mean, first of all, like the description of of someone who's like so opinionated and like feels so cool, I like totally relate to. Like when people have strong opinions about stuff, I'm like, or like dress a certain way, I'm like, oh, like they got their life together and like I could never. And so I know the feeling of, of this person feeling like, oh, like my like my friend is so is so cool and like I couldn't touch that level of uh, of assertiveness. And so I thought there was like nice reverence for your friends. Um, my guess is that the person that this is being written about would have no idea. If, if I've usually noticed that cool people sometimes don't realize the influence they have over other people. Um, and so I really understand that reverence a lot. That's what like stood out to me immediately. Um, but also like the person writing this is pr- like clearly a very good writer and a really astute observer of the world. And I'm like, oh, I want you to be absurd, uh, uh, assertive. You seem to know things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a similar sense of it didn't sound exactly like something had changed in their friendship or that Mary had sort of started like escalating or becoming meaner. It mm-hmm. just seemed like the letter writer, maybe partly through Mary's influence, has been coming a little bit more into her own and is realizing, I actually want to change this element of our friendship, which seems totally reasonable to me. And again, doesn't mean that Mary has been doing something wrong this whole time. But I I do agree. And I think that's a reasonable concern to have. Like if you have a friendship of, you know, 10 years running uh, and you would suddenly like to, you know, not wildly change everything, but kind of seriously overhaul the way that you handle disagreement. There Mm. there is that sort of question of, so do I just start doing it tomorrow? And do I say anything? Like, do I announce it? Is it going to be weird if suddenly we're like, verbally jousting in conversation where I used to kind of just trail off and how do I how do I let her know that I want to disagree but I'm not necessarily just starting to try to undermine her for the hell of it yeah yeah a little bit more like I I, it's funny they mentioned like the politics that we agree on I find that that (laughs) happens with with friends all the time with people in my life where I'm like we're on the same side here we're just like having it's just like your tone I'm not loving or like we, we disagree about the implementation I feel like that's so relatable um, especially as like cool leftist people. There's I, so much like left too, infighting. Like, they're very <laughs> similar rather to the left. And like, yeah, that, that would produce a lot of conflict. You're you're quite similar. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's always I forget, I forget who explained that to me, where they were like, it's always the religions that are like really close to each other globally that like fight with each other, where there's no like Christian versus Buddhism fights because they're like too different. 
but you but when you have it's like the infighting within a group that like gets people riled up i always found that so interesting Right, that narcissism of small differences. Yeah, where they've become so huge. And that's the, the funny thing about like the political debates where it's like, um, like there's so much like left-right debate, obviously. And then on the left, sometimes I'm like talking to a relative or, or somebody who might not understand those dynamics. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand what the left is fighting about. You have no idea. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, for this letter writer, I, I think maybe the way to start approaching this with her friend is not... I want to tell Mary that she's been doing something for the last decade that's been bothering me and I want her to change. Yeah, that's brutal. So much as I want to tell Mary that I've recently realized something about myself that I want to change, which is in the past, when you've either playfully or kind of casually disagreed with me, I have not said anything or maybe misinterpreted what you meant or told myself a story about uh, how you were feeling in that moment rather than saying something or asking you a question. Uh, and I realize that's kind of been bothering me. And there are times when I would actually like to have a conversation where you just listen or maybe kind of back me up or moments where if we disagree, I want to be able to just sort of peacefully let it sit rather than get into a big debate. And I want to let you know that because that's new for me. I haven't been carrying this around consciously for the last decade getting mad I've just come to realize that this is something I want to do differently. And I want you to know about it so that it doesn't take you by surprise. And because I would love for you to, you know, meet me in the middle on some of these things. So that way, again, it's not, it's not like, oh, this is all my fault. I've been doing something terribly wrong. Please forgive me. Like, that would be weird and inappropriate. But, you know, maybe she has been getting on your case about all this stuff. But maybe she's thought this whole time we tease each other and she likes it. And it would be pretty reasonable for her to have assumed up until now that you enjoyed the dynamic. Again, that doesn't mean you were doing something wrong or she was doing something wrong. I just want you to be really careful. You don't tell her the story that you've sort of finished about her in your own head without getting her input first. Because you could absolutely be making some reasonable assumptions, possibly some slightly unreasonable assumptions about, well, if it were me and I were doing that, I would mean it this way. And maybe she just genuinely thought you two were goofing around. So... Leave room for, uh, you're not trying to make a judgment call on the way she's talked to you in the past. You're letting her know you want to start to try to change something and you'd like to know if she's up for meeting you in the middle. Yeah, you never want to be like, and you always do this, you know? <laughs> Especially if you've never brought it up before. It'd be different if you were like, you know, every couple of months we have a little fight about it or I say this really bothers me and then it never changes. Because then I would absolutely encourage some version of you always do this, yes, but not yes. yet. Yeah, you can't start it at 10. Yeah, I like the idea of of going inward. Like, hey, I'm working on like standing up for myself more in even in these like little like like because like sometimes political debates like they're not um, or any kind of dissection of culture, like movie movie thoughts or culture thoughts. They're kind of like separate from you mm -hmm. where you're talking about this other thing. And so I've had people in my life who are like, oh, you took that personally? I was just like talking about like which TV shows were good. Like I didn't think you'd take that personally. I wasn't saying anything about your character. And they're kind of like black and white about that, that kind of thing. And so sometimes people don't know. They think they're just giving an opinion. They don't realize that you feel kind of like stepped on or that mm -hmm. like their, their opinion about Parks and Rec being bad. And like, I like Parks and Rec. That, that made me feel stupid. You know, they don't realize that they're, that they're stepping on you in that way. And so, yeah, talking to people about like wanting to stand up for yourself more, or like push back a little bit. I think, God, that, I think we could all aspire to, to be that honest with the people in our lives. 
Right. I, I think that's really useful, too, what you were sort of pointing out um, about the maybe the, the potential value the letter writer has been assigning to some of these shoes or movies. Because that's a little separate from politics. Like, I can understand why that might get into a little bit more emotional territory, because that's about, you know, how ought we to order society? Yeah. Um, but I, I think in part, again, none of this is to say, letter writer, that you've been doing something really wrong or messed up or that this is all on you. But I wonder if it's possible that a different friend expressing similarly regular, regular disagreement about fashion or TV, it might not sort of penetrate uh, your defenses quite as deeply, but because you also really admire Mary, you take her opinion more seriously than you would someone else. And so when she says sort of casually, like, I think those shoes look goofy, you feel like she's saying to you, your sense of style's no good. Mm. And again, it's totally okay for you to say either like, I really like these shoes and it, you know, I feel a little sensitive about it. That's fine. That's not a weird thing to say. You can absolutely ask a friend to, you know, be a little more gentle about something that you feel sensitive about. Um, but to also really do ask yourself, if somebody else who wasn't married, who I didn't look up to quite so much, said this, would I feel a similar sense of indictment? Um, is this something that I'm bringing to the table? And if I were to just say to her, um, this might sound a little weird, but I feel uh, a little sensitive and tender right now. I really like these shoes. I, I, even if they're not to your taste, uh, I, I feel a little just sensitive about being made fun of for it. And I just want you to know that. A again, mm. you don't have to do that about everything, but to clue her in on where there's tenderness because sometimes that might not at all be immediately apparent. Again, if she was saying like, those shoes look like dog shit when you show up at her door to meet for dinner, I would have different advice then. And I would say, yeah, she needs to rein some of that in. But yeah. she might just not have any idea how that affects you. And if you share that with her, she can reorient herself. And then again, be prepared for maybe a, a follow-up conversation or two because she might, just as she starts out, walk too much on eggshells and you'll feel like, well, now I feel like you're treating me like a princess in a way that I don't like. And you can yeah. course correct from that and kind of figure out like, all right, I'm not that tender. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, a couple of back and forth conversations where you're both figuring out how to change this particular aspect of your friendship and how you can take some responsibility for saying, all right, if she says she hates this movie in a group conversation and I want to recoil into myself, what if instead I say, you know, I actually really like that. I found it really moving um, rather than like, how dare you say that or that really hurts me or no, fuck you. But like to really just own your sensitivity without making an apology for it, what would that look like? How could you do that for yourself? Uh, owning our sensitivity, man. Now that's a class I would take. <laughs> especially in a group setting and especially if the conversation has so far been light because it can always feel so challenging to be the person who's like I actually feel sensitive and then it's sort of like you were just your first person to like I don't know take off your shirt at a pool party in junior high <laughs> I think that's the right analogy and I I've become kind of obsessed there's there's some uh, uh, Murakami novels where mm -hmm. like the recurring theme becomes like strength and flexibility like the strongest things are like bamboo, like things that literally like bend and still mm -hmm. remain strong. And so whenever I think of that sensitivity, I'm like, no, 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 there's strength in being like, um, in, in admitting that and being public about that, as opposed to just being like walled off and quietly resenting this person for publicly kind of like shunning your, your taste. And the, the other thing I wanted to say is that it's funny, like sometimes people in our lives, I'm sure I'm guilty of this too. Like we don't realize, people don't realize when you look up to them. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, listen, like I admire your taste so much. So when you say something like that, it like hurts my feelings because I think so highly of you. <laughs> yeah, I think that can feel 
maybe difficult to recognize because it feels like, well, it's so obvious to me who lives inside of my own head. I notice it often. How can you not notice it? And it's like, unless you genuinely sit at her feet in hero worship or say things like, Mary, I think you're the coolest. I bought this jacket because it looks like your jacket. She might very well not know or like have some idea that in some ways you respect her opinion, but doesn't think of you as someone who's like intimidated by her. So I think that'll be useful too, because you say, uh, letter writer, you know, I wonder if I'm taking myself too seriously or if she's being ungracious. I wonder why she can't affirm me more often in conversation. Is that too much to expect? These are subjective and open-ended questions that can really, the answers could vary from friendship to friendship, but that's where you really do need to invite Mary's input because I don't know what she's thinking and and really neither do you. And you've never really broached this subject with her before. So mm. I do think it's worth having this conversation separately rather than kind of waiting for it to come up in the moment. And don't don't frame it as like, I have terrible news. Our friendship <laughs> has been mostly fraudulent. I've been keeping this huge secret from you. But, but to frame it as like, I've kind of recently noticed this about myself, something that I want to change. I want you to know about it. You know, there's some more vulnerability, but not like, wow, you've been really stepping in it this whole time, or I've been, you know, terrified and in hero worship of you. So that that way she doesn't feel like you're asking her to totally overhaul her whole life, which I don't think you are. But then to also, once you've shared some of that, ask her, does that sound reasonable? Does that sound like something that you're up for changing? Um, does any of this surprise you? Are you surprised to learn that in some ways I've been intimidated by you? Because she might genuinely be shocked. And and I think that would be useful information for you because in your head, you, the story has been, she's just so confident. She's had great taste since she was 12. She's never insecure like me. Mm-hmm. And she might very well share something with you where she says, you know, sometimes I cover my own insecurities by occasionally overstating my case and I could work, I could stand to work on that. And, and you'd be like, wow, she has, you know, insecurities just like me. Uh, and then you'll you'll know your friend a little better. And that would be a good thing. Yeah. The line at the end when she was like, I worry that if I suddenly begin to go to bat for my opinions and tastes without explaining my new assertiveness, I'll throw her off and I'll throw her and others off. And I guess in terms of just like empowering this letter writer to just be like, you're not going to throw them off. Be a little assertive. See what happens. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think people are going to be like, like, as long as you're not like screaming, <laughs> like just bring I it up. I did find that really charming too. Because that so was charming. very much like, Somebody who has to work on assertiveness is like, if I don't explain my new assertiveness, will people be upset? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which is just very like, that's very thoughtful. So thoughtful. This person seems so nice. <laughs> and so as long as you're not overcorrecting by just slamming into her and the first time you're ready to like back up a disagreement, you just say, fuck you. Like, <laughs> you know, the mission is a perfect film. I don't know why you'd be arguing about the mission, but there we are. You know, as long as you don't do that, I think she sounds like a pretty good friend. She sounds like a pretty thoughtful person. And I think if you approach this with her in a relatively like warm and inviting way, she's going to do pretty well about it. Doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly, but I I think you both clearly want the best for one another. You both want to support each other. And if you go into the conversation like that, I, I think if there's one thing I wish I could have done differently, especially in my 20s with some of my friendships, if I wanted to finally have a conversation with somebody about something I wanted to change or that had hurt my feelings, mm-hmm. would often like wait until it was like as bad as possible. And then I would also <laughs> bring it up like I was announcing a death. Like I have horrible news. This is really fucked up. I don't know how we're going to fix this. Um, and, and that would just sort of set the tone for, you know, not a great conversation. And I think it would have been a lot easier if I could have gone into it like, hey, we're two relatively well-adjusted adults who care about each other. I bet we can figure this out if we both try. Totally. And it's not a text conversation. 
Right. <laughs> it's usually right. ideally in person, maybe the phone. I don't know how your relationship is, but for like my the group of bros in my life, like nothing good ever happens when the text miscommunications start happening. Yeah, I, I agree. I think text conversations for really serious stuff probably not ideal unless they are totally unavoidable. And here, I think it's on. I think it is avoidable, so you should avoid it. Yeah. The last thought I had here. This was not an actual question. It was more an implicit one. But it seemed to me like the letter writer was wondering, should I bring up or invoke other people's perceptions of Mary? Which was just, you know, other people have mentioned they found her standoffish. I don't know if she does this to other people. And so I just want to caution the letter writer. This is about your friendship with Mary. And so I don't think that there's any reason to bring up what other people have mentioned that you seem standoffish. Or it makes me wonder if you do this to other people just because you don't know. And and that's that's not who is important here. The important thing here is your relationship with Mary, not like sometimes if you're feeling insecure about something, it can feel like, well, if I if I bolster my opinion by saying other people feel this way, then I'm not just like standing by myself. But it actually doesn't strengthen your experience. It just makes it sound like you've been talking to other people about Mary in a negative way. And that would that would not, I think, be helpful. Yeah, it's not a DBQ. You don't need to like cite sources. You can just be like, I'm working on myself. I I would appreciate blank. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. That's all I've got for this letter writer. I really hope this goes well. I think there's a lot of potential for for meaningful change here. Yeah, I think it will. And I love, I just love anybody who's like, oh, I love my friend so much. And she also kind of pisses me off sometimes. I think that's beautiful. I think that's yeah. superhuman. And this feels like, you know, after a decade, you're you're ready for like a, a little conflict. That sounds good. You know, I think that's right. I think if after a decade you've had zero conflict, I would wonder if like, Maybe there's something you're kind of glossing over. Not that yeah. everybody has to hu- have a huge blowout fight every decade, but you should have at least a couple of, I don't know, frictiony conversations. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, this is more about my my own life, but I'm like, I think that's why I'm so intimidated by romantic relationships where I'm like, oh, like, I haven't had been in a romantic relationship where we had a fight in a long time because I just like it when it's all like, everybody likes each other. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a hard part of it. No, and I always want to feel like, oh, yeah, we're good at handling conflict. But in any given moment, I never want there to be conflict. Yeah. So it's always like, well, I'm never going to feel like it. But if we if we get to a decade without having a fight, uh, one or both of us is lying. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, moving on then to our next question. And luckily, we don't have to worry too much about helping anybody fight with their partner this time. There we Um, go. Would you mind reading our second letter? I would love to. The subject is uh, disappearing daughter. I'm a 30-year-old only child of long-divorced parents. I'm very close with my mom, while my relationship with my dad has been harder to maintain. It improved after I became an adult, but I basically lost him during the pandemic. He's always been pretty into conspiracy theories doesn't believe in the moon landing, and he thinks COVID is fake. At first, I thought he was joking, but he refused to get the vaccine, and it became clear that he viewed the pandemic as cover for, quote, them to destroy small businesses and poor communities. He doesn't believe people actually died from COVID, even though we attended a virtual funeral for a relative who died from it. At one point, he claimed to have driven to the hospital and, quote, didn't see pandemonium, which I guess was proof enough for him. Between hearing him drag on about these theories and my inability to make it through a disagreement without crying, I stopped wanting to see him. We had an argument over the phone in 2021 after six months of not talking, and I saw him three times in 2022, but I just put on a fake happy face. We live five minutes apart. Going for months without hearing from him has made it really clear he doesn't care. I know he and his four siblings have gone decades without talking in the past over various disagreements. I don't want that to happen to us. When I ask them for help, they acknowledge he's being unreasonable, but that I have to be the person who makes things better. My mother and cousins are sympathetic, but there's not much they can do. At this point, it's not even about the vaccine for me. It's that he apparently doesn't care that he's lost contact with his only daughter. Man, so this one is obviously, uh, you know, a real step up just in terms of like grief, loss, intensity. Totally. Um, and, and I just, I really feel for this letter writer. I, you know, I can imagine a couple of different uh, possible future scenarios here. And, and so I think it, I, I guess the question is, is the letter writer interested in having a sort of like detente, more surface level, occasional relationship where they see their dad a couple of times a year, but don't really go into the aspects of their relationship, his inability to deal with reality, his conspiracy theories, the way that he relates to his daughter? Or is the letter writer mostly just asking for permission to acknowledge something that she feels like has already happened? And I'm Mm -hmm. curious if you felt like, because, you know, something like, I feel like I've basically lost him during the pandemic. I, I feel like he just doesn't care that he's already lost contact with me. Did you feel like that was kind of saying, I already think this relationship is not possible to recover any version of, and I just want tips on how to deal with that. Or did you feel like there was room there for possible unsatisfactory compromises? You know, I I think it's in a tricky place right now. It sounds to me like the tone of this letter, which I really appreciate. It's really beautifully written and, and very honest. 
it made me think like, oh, what this person really wants is like their father to be like, hey, I got the vaccine and I want to see you, which mm-hmm. like just like probably won't happen. And I'm sorry I hurt you. Yes. yes. I've reflected <laughs> on my behavior without your prompting me. Uh, and I've I've reconsidered how I treated you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen. And like the other thing is I thought the detail about the way he treats his siblings where it's like they go decades without talking. I'm like, oh, that's a really important detail where it's like, what's the behavior that this person has observed and like partaken in for for decades it's like oh that's that's normal that's what families do um so maybe they weren't modeled the right way to like stay in touch with family members Mm -hmm. which is like hurtful because it sounds like this person like wants to have at least like a a a nice relationship with their with their father to see them occasionally because living five minutes away is also kind of tough but also means it could it could happen you know everyone's always just a five minute drive away in theory yeah yeah so i think the the sort of dividing line for the letter writer. And again, letter writer, I just wanted to say any possible reaction or way forward here would make sense to me. If you Mm. decided, I feel like our relationship is already gone and I just need to be able to acknowledge it to someone and I want to find good ways to like mourn it and, and grieve it and then figure out, you know, how to go on with my own life. That would make a lot of sense. I would not feel at all like, wow, you really just gave up on this relationship or you know, you were unfair, that would be totally understandable. And if you felt like as awful and painful as this has been, I also really don't want to not have any kind of a relationship with him. So I want to try to look for other ways to have the least damaging version of a relationship that's possible. That would make sense to me too. And I would not, I wouldn't say to you like, wow, you're really compromising on your values or like you owe it to yourself to never talk to him again. So I I want you letter writer to feel real freedom in terms of figuring out what's going to work for you in the near future. And as is often the case, just a reminder that like, if you decide you want to try not talking to him on purpose for a while and see how that goes, you can do that. And you don't have to then commit. I'm never, ever going to answer his, his phone calls. If he calls me again for the rest of my life, if that feels like too big of a decision, you, you don't have to make a single permanent call. You're allowed to change your mind or shift your priorities. Mm, absolutely. But I I think the crucial thing will be, you say, you know, we had an argument over the phone in 2021, and and you mentioned that you're not able to disagree with him without crying, and then you saw him three times in 2022, and all you did was put on a fake happy face. And so I guess the question is just, can you imagine any kind of interaction with your father where you were both there and was anything other than disagreeing, crying, unable to connect, or totally fake happy face. Because if it feels like I could deal with seeing him at Christmas and kind of preparing myself in advance, there's some stuff we're not going to be able to talk about. There's some emotional stuff I know I'm not going to be able to get from him. This will not feel like a great father-daughter bonding moment, but it will be acceptable then that would be reasonable. But if it just feels like that's another version of putting on a fake happy face, if we're not talking about his COVID denialism and his like total emotional withdrawal and then physical withdrawal from our relationship, then it would just feel completely inauthentic and unbearable. Then that's your answer. So I guess I would just say, can you imagine a scenario uh, in between those two things with him? And if you can't, that probably answers your question about what you might be able to do next. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said. The the COVID stuff is so is so tough because um, when I read that, when I read somebody's reaction to that, I think like, oh, this person's just really scared. 
And it's much easier to be like, it doesn't exist. It's not real than to be like, oh, like the world is falling apart. And there's a, cause like I, not about COVID, but like there's certain other things where I don't know, there was like, somebody was like, there's mad cow disease in New Jersey. And I remember being a kid and being like, there's not mad cow disease. Everyone relax. Like everyone needs to calm down and just feeling like very distant from that. I was 10 and just like wanting to like shut that down and be like, I can't worry about every time I eat a hamburger. I don't want to live that life. Mm-hmm. And so like when people like deny COVID in that way, like I clearly didn't and got all the vaccines and all that stuff. But like, there's a part of me that like understands where it's like, oh, their brain just like shut down and just like said no to everything. And that's the way they handled it. And like that stinks for everyone else because they're not living in reality. But that's, that's a really, that's a really tough one. I have a lot of empathy for this person. I, I I hope they can find like a couple things that like they can do with their dad. You know, <laughs> some for some reason I was like, can you guys see Top Gun Maverick? Like, can mm. you go do dad stuff? <laughs> like, is there something that you guys could do together that won't result in feeling like you have to fake it or just like something that you can relate to? There's something in the world that like you guys both like that doesn't have to do with politics or you know that's too emotional. I th- I, I hope that it, that exists. Yeah, that, I think that's a useful distinction too because it it sounds like I don't have a hundred percent clarity here, but it does sound like the letter writer has had this experience where he drags on about these theories. It sounds like he's also it's not just like which would be obviously difficult enough. It's not just like he's an anti vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist who like often denies reality, but mm-hmm. it sounds like he's kind of incapable of talking about something else and maybe persistently brings it up. Again, I don't want to make too many assumptions, so it may be possible to genuinely just not talk about that with him, but it does seem like he brings it up pretty frequently. So it it may be that even if you tried to go see Top Gun Maverick or some other, you know, action movie, he would find something to to bring up um, sort of apropos of nothing. And of course, again, like in addition to, to all the emotional stuff, there's also the actual risk of, you know, spending time with him when he is unvaccinated, like that obviously would increase the letter writer's own risk of getting COVID, which would not be good for her either. So um, there's like a a physical risk element on top of the emotional stuff that I think is additionally challenging. So yeah, again, letter writer, if it just feels like I can't keep having the same conversation with him, but I also can't see my way to saying, hey, dad, let's not talk about this thing you're sort of obsessed with talking about then, you know, the way forward is either figure out ways that you can mourn and talk about your loss kind of outside of your family, because it seems like you've sort of reached the limits of their ability to empathize with you, because everyone else is kind of saying like, yeah, it's sad, but either you adapt to fit what he wants, or you don't get to have a relationship with him. So those are your only options. We have to kind of throw up our hands, which can feel, you know, that's a limited amount of sympathy that they can offer you. So to, to seek that out from like, friends, a romantic partner, a therapist, uh, a support group for, I don't know, people with difficult parents. Yeah. I say I said that really flippantly. I just, because I couldn't think of like a particular <laughs> Do they have type. an acronym? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love support groups. I go to a bunch of different support groups. I didn't mean at all to sound like dismissive. Um, <laughs> or, you know, you could consider, and I wouldn't suggest just like write your dad a letter with all your objections to anything he's ever done and send it. But it might also helpful to just write out some version of what you've written out here where you're not trying to engage with him or argue with him about whether COVID is a false flag operation because that's just insanity and you can't have an argument with that. But that's just like about how it's really hurt you that he has prioritized this obsession 
over having a conversation with you about what you're doing, how work mm. is going, uh, what your relationship is like. And um, you might decide to send some version of it. You might not. It might just be helpful to reflect. But something that was just without trying to make him feel bad, that was just your best attempt to honestly say, I miss you. It makes me really sad that you don't call me, that this seems more important to you than our relationship. And, and to just be sort of honest about the emotional toll that's taken on you. And again, you might decide, I don't think he would receive it well. You might decide it would feel good to send this to him, even if he had a bad reaction. I don't have a lot to lose. And I might feel a little better if I said once, not in person, not over the phone where I know I might cry, but in a way where I could kind of control my affect and my tone, just saying the truth about our relationship in a way that's both loving, but not pulling any punches. And that's so hard to do, right? Because like when you try to be honest with a parent about something they've done that's damaging or harmful, it can be really easy to go to. And you did this and you did this and I'm just mad all the time. Um, but to really stress, like, this makes me really sad. I wish that you wouldn't do this. And I'm not asking you to change your mind about any theories that you have. I'm just asking you to consider whether you would be willing to talk to me about other things mm. because I want that. Then that might potentially be useful even if his initial reaction is not a great one. Does that seem to you a little bit too optimistic? It feels like maybe if he's ignoring her calls and letting her cry on the phone, getting a like sincere letter about missing him would just... <laughs> he would just dismiss it. Yeah. I mean, it's, he might just dismiss it, but also in some ways you have nothing to lose. Like if you're not seeing him already, like the status quo is you don't see him a lot and it's disappointing and you wish he showed up and he won't. Um, but I don't know. Sometimes like I, I hang out with a lot of like idiot men and sometimes you just need to like tell them what to do. Mm. And like, sometimes it's nice to be told what to do. It's like, dad, I just, can we hang out and not talk about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it'll make our both our lives a lot better. <laughs> you know, letter writer, I want you to feel real freedom, like, in case part of what's been holding you back is like, I've got to be able to change his mind. And if I don't, I'm like falling down on my job as like a responsible citizen or something. And I just want to be really clear. It is really, really okay to want to have a relationship with a really imperfect um, or sometimes even harmful parent. And it's mm. really, really okay to say, I want to be able to have a couple of phone calls with my dad a year where we talk about movies or the weather or our pets, even though it also still makes me really sad that he's like a COVID denialist. And so I, I just want to say like, this is not in the same category as like, you've, you've tried to talk about this with him. It, there's clearly like pretty serious levels of disengagement from reality here. This is not like, oh, you've got a problematic uncle that you haven't kind of challenged because you're too afraid to make waves. I would not put this in the same category of like, unless you can persuade him to join scientific and medical consensus in reality. <laughs> yeah, he's not a uh, senator, I don't think. Yeah. It's just yeah. like some guy with nutty opinions, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, beyond that, I, I think it's really useful to remember you say, um, when I ask his siblings for help, they don't really help. And I, I want to say this really, really gently because I don't think you did anything wrong with that. But these people don't know how to have a better relationship with your father because their track record is not good. So... I, I totally understand wanting to talk to them about it. I think that was fine and understandable. But at least in terms of advice, the one thing you know about those four people is they are not good at having a consistent relationship with your father. That doesn't mean it's all their fault. It just means they don't have expertise. Um, so They're good people to th- vent with. You can vent yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah, but like whatever they've tried clearly didn't work. Yeah. And so I think really the, the then the question is just, what do I do with the fact that there's not a lot other people can do for me about this? 
how do I grieve this loss that I would give anything to change but have really limited ability to change and other people in my life can't do much besides shrug and say, I know it sucks. Mm. And that's really hard. You know, I, I talk not infrequently on this show about the fact that I don't have a relationship with anyone in my family of origin. Often my reaction to that is, is one of, you know, anger, sometimes good old-fashioned self-righteous indignation. Um, and those all play a role in it too. But absolutely parts of it are really sad. And I experience it as rejection. Um, and there's no spin that I can put on that that makes it feel better. And sometimes it's just important to say, this is really sad. It's not going to be the only or defining experience of my life, but it is sad and it, it causes me grief. And I need to find ways to mourn that, that acknowledge the fact that it's not something I can change. Um, and you know, that's sort of like cheesy stuff. Like the serenity prayer is really designed to help people try to cope with is how do that's you a great deal one. with you know, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only but a yeah. goodie. I, I, I'm not even in, I'm not, I'm sober, but I'm not like in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, even for me, I'm like, that's a great, I, I say that to myself all the time. Yeah. It's free. Anyone can say it or yeah. think it if you'd rather. <laughs> yeah. And so just to let yourself experience both the fact that I wish my relationship with my father was different. It isn't. I might be able to do one or two things that can, you know, uh, make an attempt from my end of the street but I can't control his behavior. And even if I do my best, it might not change the relationship. So if I do those things and nothing changes, how do I, um, how do I mourn it? How do I mm-hmm. find other ways to get support? How do I live in a world where a lot of other people also have strained or almost non-existent relationships with their fathers so I can be useful and supportive to others um, and, and realize that I'm not alone in this? Um, I've definitely, you know, been in like, recovery areas and been really like down on myself like oh can you believe it i have a bad relationship with my father and then it's like yeah man you're with a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts that's most of the people in this room i don't yeah, know why you it. thought yeah like i don't know why you thought you invented having a bad dad that's but so funny did not at all i i don't know it's just like i'm sometimes like yeah you you guys won't believe this but i, I come from a religious family and it oh was bad God. That's and so I'm, funny. I genuinely feel like I invented that. People are going to be shocked and be like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't realize that like you have so much in common with the people around you um, that to the point of almost being a cliche, but it's like, no, it's like, that's how life is. Like, <laughs> and it's a good thing. Like, it doesn't mean mm. you don't matter. You don't get to be like a special individual, but it means you're less alone. And sometimes and this is really different. I want to be clear. I'm not accusing the letter writer of this at all. I didn't get any of that in this letter, but sometimes I know when I'm really experiencing sorrow that turns into self-pity, I start to think that I invented or have the most unique set of experiences where I really want that. Like I actually don't want to be reminded that I actually have more in common with other people than I, I want to admit. Cause I'm like, no, I want to, I want to have invented suffering. And it's like, <laughs> what do I get out of that? Like that takes yeah. me away from other people. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I would love to, if you don't mind, since I think we've kind of done what we can on that letter, um, hear a little bit about maybe some of your thoughts about connecting with people. I know you, you've you got a show out right now about friendship, but that also has some to do with relationships with relatives and, and um, different kind of like networks and communities. Um, and so if, if you want to just tell us all a little bit about your philosophy of connecting with others. I don't know, yeah. the next like three and a half minutes perfectly summing it up. That would be great. <laughs> I would love to. Um, so I have I wrote this show called Solo, which is it's called a show about friendship, and it's an off-Broadway comedy show, kind of like a Mike Birbiglia or Hassan Minaj style, Jacqueline Novak style solo show. And 
when I was about 22, the kind of like the A story is like this idea of like, I had a friendship breakup mm-hmm. where me and a best friend had a falling out and we no longer be, we were just no longer friends. And it was like the biggest, most important friendship in my life. And it just ended. And for a long time, and I kind of started comedy right after that. And so mm. that for a long time, I was like, well, that's what the show's about. That's the story. And as time went on and I lived in the rest of my 20s, I kept being like, why does this matter that I had a friendship breakup when I was 22? Like, who cares? What's the lens now as a 30-year-old? And so about a, year, a little over a year ago, my, my mother got sick and she's feeling a lot better. She's like, totally fine now. Glad um, to hear it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but she's... Uh, she got sick and I have these like bros in my life and the bros kind of just like didn't know what to do with my mom being sick. And it was a really difficult time for me. And I kind of just like wasn't getting what I needed um, from the friends in my life. And I felt very, in addition to like being worried about my mom, I felt very alone. And so I started writing about that and thinking about it. And I started from like, basically the show starts with like one of my lowest moments, which is like, oh my God, do I not have friends? And then I start analyzing friendship and thinking about it. And what does it mean for me to have friends? And uh, I do a lot of just like jokes about friendship. And um, from there, it's it's it kind of devolves into the big story, the 22-year-old story. Um, and then kind of everything starts to connect towards the end. But I do have some takeaways just about kind of like having friends who maybe fall short sometimes, me included, like as a friend, sometimes we need to be told what to do is one of them. And like not being able, not being afraid to be like, Hey, bud, this is what I need from you right now. It's very simple. If you can do this, like you will be helping. Um, the other thing is since I've done the show, like all the bros in my life have come to the show a couple times, honestly. And we talk to each other on the phone way more. That's become more a part of our routine. And I'm trying to do that more. Um, I think it's really, really helpful because uh, we're all kind of like siloed off and, you know, Long Island and Brooklyn and, you know, I'm in Queens and it's just like hard to see people. And just like the occasional phone call, like, hey, how you doing? What are you doing today? Has been really, really helpful. And we've started to have deeper, more meaningful conversations in the last year. And I think the show has something to do with it. Maybe not all of it. I think it might be, might be too grand to be like, and I solved all the, my friendship issues, but um, I do feel more connected to these people. Um now than I did a year ago. And it's been fun to be able to do that through like my favorite thing, which is like long form storytelling slash comedy. Uh, so it's been like a, a pretty amazing year. Most importantly that my mother's feeling well, but also because people get to see this show now that I've kind of worked really hard on. Mm-hmm. Was that, I'm curious too, was that one of the first times you remember like going to a friend and saying something you're doing is hurting me or this isn't working or was this something that you'd had at that point more experience in doing? Like, was that your first time pursuing conflict with a loved one on purpose? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, it's very rare for us to like ever have conflict, especially over something so personal. Like, it might be over (laughs) something so stupid we might have conflict over where um, making plans falling through and them being like a bad texture or them like not being forthcoming with what they were doing that night or whatever. It's always something like that, but never about something so personal. And so that moment struck me as like, Oh, I never do this. Like that was a big moment in my life. Uh, And for other people it might be small for other people. They might have, you know, conversations with their friends and their loved ones in their life more often. But for, for my group of friends, it was kind of like the first time, so it became this really powerful moment and it was, it was <laughs> what I didn't realize about comedians is like, oh, the things that they talk about on stage are usually the things that are like, they're thinking about all the time mm-hmm. and they talk about the big things in their life. And so once 
once I put two and two together, I was like, well, I kind of have to talk about this on stage. Hmm. And that's when people started to relate to it. That's when people started coming up to me and be like, oh my God, like I, I opened the show by saying, this is a show, but I don't have friends. And it's a little dramatic, but it's like, it's a thing that people come up to me afterwards and they're like, I feel that way too sometimes. And that once people started coming up to me afterwards, like wanting to talk, I was like, oh, I'm onto something. Did you then, did you make any friends from the people or was it mostly like they wanted to tell you something that they'd realized about their own friendships and then go away? Or was there more of like, I now have a parasocial relationship with you. I want to turn that into a social one. <laughs> I hung out with a guy yesterday who came to the show twice. Um, we had a cup of coffee and like a really nice mm-hmm. conversation. Cool. So that's like a real thing that I wish I could do more. But it's been a really nice... I've taken a bunch of phone calls with folks. Mm. I'm trying to be... I try to be as like accessible as I can without kind of over-promising and under-delivering. Right. Um, but I'm like, like, even just today... Somebody came up to me after the show and was like, I want to take a comedy class. And I was like, DM me. And I just today saw the DM from like February 24th. And I just messaged him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Here are these classes. Like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so I think what's that, two and a half weeks? That's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, I felt bad though. Because um, I kind of want to be all things to all people. So I, maybe I need to worry, work on not um, feeling like I'm disappointing people. <laughs> but it's been a really, really great experience. And I hope I like, we're about to start our third extension at the Soho Playhouse. And it's been like a dream come true. Like I really like I'm just like certifiably not famous. And so when people keep coming and the word of mouth is really good, it's like it's a real honor. And it's mm-hmm. a real um, it's like the only thing I've wanted to do for years and years and years. Uh, and it's kind of happening. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate you having me on your podcast to, to read all these great letters because um, it's fun when people get to hear about it. And the marketer in my head is going, tell them about the promo code. There's also a promo. If there's a <laughs> promo about, code. Tell them about the promo code. Of course. <laughs> and by if all you means. DM me, I'll, I'll send you a promo code. <laughs> and, and, and where can people DM you, Gabe? You got to close the loop. How can they find you? I'm on Instagram. I'm at Gabe Malika. And I had a very funny Instagram moment. I, I still, I work in a school still. And my students were like, oh, you got the blue check on Instagram. You're so cool. And then they were like, wait, why are you still teaching us? <laughs> I was like, well, I need the money. <laughs> yeah. I like that, though, you're like, still, like, come on, guys. If enough of you come to the show, I won't have to. <laughs> yeah. Any of your parents who work on Broadway want to come to the show? <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic. Thank you for letting the people know where they can DM you. And, uh, I, you know, I hope if the show keeps getting extended that, you know, at the very least, you're able to have a new and interesting friend breakup so that you can create a sequel. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the next show and I'm like, nothing really dramatic has happened. So I'm like, that's fine. Honestly, maybe the show is like a little less exciting. That's OK. <laughs> Listen, you, you got to count your blessing because sometimes you think things like, hey, my family is pretty normal. Yep. Uh, and then and then some stuff happens and you don't talk ever again. So, yeah. Um, if you don't mind sticking around for a minute, I have uh, an update and something else that I don't quite know how to describe, but it's part of an ongoing quest to learn about everyone's folksy family expressions that they grew up with. Sound all right? Sounds great. All right. So a while back, I was talking about folksy family expressions and put out a sort of general call for people to share theirs if they wanted to. Uh, and so here's just an answer from someone. Longtime listener, first time writer. Have you heard of the podcast Grammar Girl? Aside, no, I haven't. Thanks for letting me know. They have a recurring segment called Familect with the kind of quaint familial phrases you mentioned on the podcast. For example, there's Danger Clucks, which was submitted by a woman who raised chickens and who now uses the phrase to refer to any type of scary situation. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I'm really grateful to know about both Familect and uh, Danger Clucks. That's beautiful. That's exactly the kind of information I was hoping for. 
All right. The other update is from a letter writer who wrote a while back about a difficult member of a book club uh, that they were in who was like significantly oversharing about a bunch of emergencies and crises that just kept popping up and asking for favors relentlessly. So this is an update on book club breakup. Thank you to you and your guest for taking the time to answer my question. I really appreciated the level of insight you both gleaned from a few words. Your advice was bang on. And in fact, that's exactly what I did. I backed off my conversations with this person in crisis. I encouraged her to get support from the health professionals that she'd consulted instead. I also noticed that I had to actively stop myself when I wanted to offer to do more than was appropriate, like Christmas and birthday card, gift exchanges, food drop-offs, etc. It's been a really good lesson on not making promises if I know I'm unable or uninterested in following through. Start as you mean to go on is the phrase that keeps going through my head. I haven't been to book club in a while either. I'm kind of leaving that arena to her. The book selection has been awful, so it was actually a good time to bow out. I do miss some of the other members as I'm in a pretty remote location, but I really prefer having appropriate, healthy interactions with people, so I've just enjoyed reading on my own. Right now, I'm really enjoying Susan Juby's Mindful of Murder. It's a great story about Buddhism, spoiled rich kids, and butlers. Thanks again. Thank you, letter writer. I Oh, man, there's nothing I like to hear more than somebody who's managed to extricate themselves from a complicated situation where they are over-promising, under-delivering, and highly resentful, and now they're just having a nice time reading a book. So, well done to you. Thank you for the update. I hope the next book club you find um, is full of just really appropriate people with excellent boundaries. Gabe, thank you so much. If you have any book clubs you want to recommend, now's the time. And if not, (laughs) thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. I love being a guest on this show. Uh, this is such a thoughtful show. I do know the Grammar Girl. I was on a podcast with her once. Oh, um, how cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know the Grammar Girl. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, this was so fun. Your readers are so thoughtful. And <laughs> to, to be honest, the people who would listen to the show are the people that should come see mine. <laughs> I do like think the- there's a real overlap. Like people who think a lot about friendships and loneliness and conflicts. Yeah, yeah. There's a real Every letter I was like, this is my demo. <laughs> Well, have at it, folks. Just DM Gabe on Instagram for, for the that rest promo, of the day. Sweet, sweet promo code. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. And I think it would be really reasonable and, and frankly good for you. It would do you good if you said to her, It really hurt me. When we made plans to see each other, I reminded you a bunch. Um, You said you were excited. And then you just blew me off to see someone you see regularly. 
either I was really missing something or you just didn't really want to see me. And mm. say that, like be vulnerable. Let her hear you say that. I think it will feel better than if you either just got really mad and tried to hurt her feelings back or didn't say that at all and were just like, hey, stop saying you miss me. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.